Thank you for downloading Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, an exploration of the Book of Samuel. This series is in partnership with the Koran Podcast Network and is lovingly sponsored by the Newstein family in memory of Rabbi Dr. Joseph Newstein for his fourth yard site. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Michael Hatton. Welcome back, everyone, to our Pardes podcast on Sefer Shemuel. This is Michael Hatton. Today, we are continuing our study of Avshalom's rebellion and its aftermath. Recall how in the last chapter, Avshalom's force had been defeated by David's army. David's army was led by his three able warriors, Yoav, Avishai, and Itai. Avshalom separated from his men, retreated, even as his mule raced to safety, passing under the tangled branches of an oak tree, Avshalom's flying hair became entangled in the oak. The mule ran on and Avshalom was caught, suspended between heaven and earth. Eventually, Yoav stabbed him with three darts and then called upon his ten armor-bearers to finish him off, and with that, the battle came to an ignominious end. Avshalom's body was thrown into a pit, and a huge pile of stones was heaped upon it. Bear in mind, of course, that Yoav's killing of Avshalom was in direct contravention to the wishes of the king. David said explicitly, to his generals and his men, la'atli la'na'ar la'avshalom. Deal kindly with the lad with avshalom. Now the time arrives for the message of the victory and avshalom's death to be conveyed to David. Remember that David remained behind. He did not enter the battle on the advice of his men, who said that entering the battle would encourage the foe to focus all of their attempts for victory on the killing of David. So David remained behind, and now the message has to be conveyed to him. Achimaatz, the son of Tzadok, who had initially told David to flee across the Yarden, that being his role as messenger, now volunteers to take the message of the victory to David, but Yoav is not prepared to send him. Verse number 20 of chapter 18. Lo ish bisora ata hayom hazeh, you are not a man to bring tidings on this day. You may bring tidings on a different day, but not on this day, because the son of the king is dead. Yoav knows that the news of Avshalom's death will not be well received by David. And he does not want to send Achimaatz to carry that message. Achimaatz attempts to get Yoav's permission, but is therefore denied. Instead, Yoav turns to the Ethiopian, the Kushi, to carry the message to David. Presumably, as is the case today, people from Ethiopia, Kenya, Tanzania often are excellent long-distance runners. In ancient times, they would also have served as messengers in armies. Yoav turns to the Kushi to carry the message and he begins to run. Achimaatz eventually wins Yoav's permission to run as well and overtakes 
the Kushi in his run to David in order to deliver the message. One gets a sense in this part of the story that there is an enthusiasm to let David know that in fact, victory is his. The threat has finally been removed. Achimaatz gets there first. David is waiting expectantly for a messenger to arrive. The lookouts are posted to spy the messenger when he arrives. When Achimaatz finally does arrive, seeing the king's fallen and anxious visage, he wisely chooses to not report directly the death of Avshalom. When the king asks him, is there peace to the lad, to Avshalom, Achimaatz is evasive. Achimaatz says, I saw the great multitude. I was sent by Yoav, but I do not know what actually happened. Now the Kushite arrives. David asks him the question, what exactly is the news? And he announces without fanfare, God has judged your case this day from all those that have risen against you. Is there peace to the lad to Avshalom, says David. The Kushite responds, May all of the enemies of my master, the king, suffer the fate of the lad, all those who rose against you to do evil. David receives the news very, very badly. When he hears that Avshalom is dead, he cries out, B'ni Avshalom, my son Avshalom, my son, my son Avshalom. If only I had died instead of you, Avshalom, my son, my son. David's emotion is raw. The pathos is palpable. So much does David cry out over the death of his son. The people, seeing David thrown into a fit of mourning, skulk away in shame. And what should have been an overwhelming triumph now feels like a defeat. Yoav approaches the king in private, having arrived from the battle, and he makes it clear to David in no uncertain terms that he will lose his support unless he goes out immediately and thanks his warriors for preserving his life. Of course, Yoav's role in this story is complicated. On the one hand, he was part of the victory against Avshalom, and on the other hand, he contravened an explicit command of his king not to harm the lad. David listens to Yoav, thanks his men for the victory that they have given him, and in the meantime, preparations are now undertaken for David to be returned to Yerushalayim. The tribes of Israel are prepared to now support David after the failed revolt. They send a message to him. You are our king. At the same time, David sends a message with Tzadok to be, conveyed, to be conveyed to the elders and the nobles of his own tribe, the tribe of Yehuda. 
and the message is pointed. Why are you not here? In order to convey me back to Jerusalem. You are my blood, you are my flesh, you are my bone. Why will you be the last ones to restore the king to his home? As for Amasa, says David, Amasa had been Avshalom's chief of staff. You will be my chief of staff from now on instead of Yoav. So in this command, David makes it clear that he expects his own tribe to show their support. And David also attempts to indicate to his tribe that there will be no vengeance against those who were treacherous. Even Amasa himself, the chief of staff who led Avshalom's rebellion, not only is given clemency, but is now appointed to replace Yoav, the very Yoav who had killed Avshalom, David's son. This fits a pattern of David reaching out to the enemy and attempting to bring that enemy into an embrace, just as he had done at the beginning of Shmuel Bet with Shaul's chief of staff, Avner. Remember that David reached out to Avner and came to an agreement with him were it not for the scheming of Yoav and his lethal intervention, perhaps the story could have turned out very differently. So it's clear to David that at this point, Yoav has become a liability in his attempts to unify the people, and therefore he appoints Amasa in Yoav's place. The people of Yehuda send a message to the king, return with all of your courtiers. And the king begins his journey from the Gilgal, crossing the, sorry, from the other side of the Jordan River, crossing the Jordan River. In the meantime, a delegation of his own tribe from Yehuda comes down to greet the king and who should be there among them? None other than Shim'i ben Gera, the Benjaminite, who when David was driven into exile in chapter 16, pronounced such a harsh curse against him. Shim'i now shows up as a loyalist. I have sinned, he said. I was so wrong in calling you out. Here I am representing the house of Joseph showing my loyalty. Avishai, David's general, says, surely Shim'i should be put to death for his words of treachery against the king. But once again, David shows compassion. This is not the day to kill the traitor, says David. And so Shim'i is spared. Other familiar characters now appear. Mephibosheth, the son of Shaul. Remember once again, as David fled, Tziva, Mephibosheth's servant, had made a claim to the king that Mephibosheth was expecting to be restored as the king of Israel, being the last surviving descendant of Shaul. And David had accepted Tziva's report. Now it becomes clear that in fact it was untrue. Mephibosheth appears before the king, unkempt, and 
in mourning as if to say, I was worried about you. When you were driven into exile, I decided, says Mephibosheth, that I would also conduct myself in mourning until your safe return. Why didn't you accompany, accompany me, says David. Mephibosheth says, I was tricked by my, by my servant Siva. You know that I'm lame, said Mephibosheth. I couldn't possibly arrange my mule myself. And Siva rode off before I was able to accompany you. David's words are short and to the point, you and Siva can divide the estate. One last character now makes an appearance, Barzillai from Gilad, one of David's supporters on the eastern side of the Arden, who had given David provisions when David was driven into exile. David invites Barzillai to accompany him back to Jerusalem. Barzillai says, I'm too old for that. I'm 80 years old. I'm too old to enjoy all of the pleasures of the court. I would instead prefer to die in my own village and be buried with my mother and my father. Instead, let my son go with you, Kimham, and David graciously agrees that Kimham will accompany the king to Jerusalem. And so it is that David now makes his way, accompanied by his own tribal members of Yehuda, and even as they make their way, a delegation from the other tribes attempts to intervene. A brief skirmish ensues over who has the right to bring David back to his home to Jerusalem, and the people of Yehuda prevail against the people of Israel. And with that, David is restored to Jerusalem. So there are a number of elements here that require more discussion. Number one, we are, we are astonished by David's response over the death of his son Avshalom. This was the Avshalom that wanted to murder his father. This was the Avshalom that stole the hearts of the people of Israel and began an insurrection. This was the Avshalom that slept with his father's concubines and humiliated him. Why is it that David is so terribly upset? Obviously, number one, it is the upsetness of a parent over the death of a child. No matter how far that child has strayed, it is still David's son. But there's something more profound here as well. When David weeps over the death of Avshalom, my son, my son of Shalom, we all appreciate that David is actually weeping for his own res responsibility in this sorry tale. It was David's crime with Bathsheba that precipitated the subsequent events. It was David's unwillingness to rebuke his son Amnon that led to Avshalom's indignation. One might say, and I'm sure David is saying, I am responsible for everything that has happened, the tragedies that have befallen the people, and my own family are a direct result of the poor choices that I made as the king of Israel. And that is absolutely true. 
The crying over of Shalom isn't just a crying over the rebellious son, but also a crying over David's direct responsibility in these events. If only it could have turned out different, that's David's words. Better that I should have died instead of Avshalom. As it turns out, it seems as if the punishment exacted of David over these chapters, the amount of pain and suffering and bloodshed, all of it a direct consequence and a fulfillment of Natan's prophecy concerning his crime with Bathsheba. All of it now is born home, and David feels that incredible responsibility for what has taken place. My son, my son of Shalom, if only I would have died instead of you. At the same time, we detect the rivalry that exists between David's tribe, the tribe of Yehuda, and the other tribes of Israel. On the one hand, the tribe of Yehuda is not naturally enthusiastic for David to return to Jerusalem. Remember that many of them had supported Avshalom. On the other hand, the tribes of Yisrael, even though they now are showing their deference and their support, had been absent earlier in showing support to the king when he was driven into exile. It seems as if everyone is falling over themselves now that David is victorious to show that they are, in fact, arch-loyalists of the king. But in politics, loyalty is only skin deep. It's really a function more of who actually wields the power. And as long as Avshalom appeared to be victorious, the support that David received even from his own tribe was tenuous. Now that Avshalom is no more and David returns to Jerusalem, of course he will now receive the support of his own tribe as well as the support of the other tribes. In effect, the characters that we meet in the story of David's return, all of them are... All of them are motivated by self-preservation rather than a genuine loyalty to the king, except for Barzillai the Giladite, who really is loyal to David. And the chapter therefore highlights that when it comes to showing gratitude, David is more than capable of expressing it. He can show compassion to his enemies, but he will show gratitude to those that supported him, namely Barzillai Hagiladi. At the end of the day then, even as the rebellion winds down and David begins his journey back to Jerusalem and back to his kingship, we appreciate that things will never be the same. The arc of these chapters is coming to a close but we are not quite done. Chapter 20, which we will study next time, will introduce another rebel against the king, this one perhaps motivated by David's showing deference to his own tribe, the tribe of Yehuda. 
Remember how, how earlier in his career, David had made a point of not showing deference to his own tribe, of creating a capital, Jerusalem, which could serve as a unifier for all the people. But at a moment such as this, David needs support, and he therefore turns to his natural base. That will have in itself tragic consequences, as chapter 20 will indicate. And with the reading of chapter 20 next time, this unit of the book will come to a close. Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of Pardis Institute of Jewish Studies in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network. If you like what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.